We're gonna be in Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30. If you're new to Story Church, we are preaching through Philippians and we're calling it the journey to joy, that we have this epistle of joy from God to us and we want God to grow us in our joyfulness throughout this fall semester. And at Story Church, we believe the word is from God and about God and in honor of him giving us his word. We like to stand for the reading of God's word. So if you're able, join me in standing. Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30. God's word says to us, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, to, to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him therefore, so that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. Today, as we look at the text, the sermon is titled Mimicking Jesus, Mimicking Jesus. Now, one of the most famous golfers of all time is a guy by the name of Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson has an ironic nickname. His nickname is Lefty. The reason why his name is ironic, his nickname, is because Phil is actually right-handed. He writes right-handed, he kicks right-footed, he throws right-handed, he does everything in his life right-handed except for golf. He does golf left-handed. Now, the reason why is around the age of four or five, uh, he turned on his television to the golf channel and on the screen was a legendary golfer named Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer was giving a lesson over the screen and so he was on the screen uh, making his swings right-handed, but of course, as you watch a TV screen, it's flipped. And so Phil, this four-year-old little boy, was mesmerized by this lesson, and he was following along the swings of Arnold Palmer, but in doing so, he actually learned how to swing a golf club left-handed because he was mimicking what was happening on the screen. And we know that in life, most of the lessons we learn are learned by mimicking. Yes, you can learn some things in a classroom where things are taught, but as we know in life, most lessons are caught, not taught. This is why our children learn to walk. They watch you walk. It's not because you sat them down and said, all right, here's a PowerPoint lesson, kiddo. I'm gonna teach you how to walk. The first thing you do is put your right foot out and then your left and you balance yourself with your core and you just kind of figure it, no, no, no. They watch you and then they mimic you. This is how we most often learn our jobs. Yes, you might go get an engineering degree at, at some college, but until you're in the workforce doing the work of engineering with older people holding you accountable and teaching you how to do the job, you are not an engineer. It's caught, not taught. 
And this is much the same with our faith. Much of our faith, yes, is taught through the preached word and through studying the scriptures and dwelling upon God's word often and reflecting upon it. This is all important, but most of your faith, your spiritual disciplines in following Jesus, these lessons are caught, not taught. You mimic those who are older and more mature than you. We actually have this in Titus chapter two as Paul is writing to Titus, this pastoral epistle, and he says, hey, Titus, I want you to equip older women and older men in the church. And and oftentimes we read older age-wise, and yes, it is that, but it's also more mature. So age is not a disqualifying factor here. He is saying to these older, more mature saints in the faith, take younger, newer people in the faith alongside you and just live a Christian life before them. They will learn from you through your word, yes, but also by your doing. They want to, he wants you to catch the way you follow Jesus by mimicking those who are further along than you. And Philippians, as we study Philippians, Paul is oftentimes kind of tying together our gospel belief and our gospel behavior. Here's what I mean by that. Paul always roots our behavior in our believing, that we believe in the word of God. We believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that Jesus has died for our sins, but our faith doesn't just stop in our believing. But oftentimes in Philippians, Paul will immediately connect our believing to our living, that our Believing should impact our behaving. Like, let's look back. Philippians chapter one, verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel and then live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then he moves into chapter two in verses one through four. He teaches what this worthy life looks like, a life of comforting one another, of loving one another, of caring for one another, of humbly serving one another. And then in verses five through 11 of chapter two, he shows how Jesus Christ is the one who perfectly embodies this at all times, that he was humbled for our sake and then exalted for our sake. And then last week, as Stephen preached, we saw Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, as a result of what Christ has done, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul, throughout Philippians, is constantly saying, Jesus has saved you, now go live like that. Go live in light of that, work out your salvation. Live, in a, life, live a life with a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, one of the problems with this is oftentimes we feel like we are wandering. How do I do that? I want to do that. How then do I live in a manner worthy of the gospel? How do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where this passage is so beautiful for us. We see Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul will write some godly traits of these men that they embodied that we then can go walk in and we can, we can learn the lessons and we can catch the lessons in their living. And so the main point for this morning is actually another scripture. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or be mimickers. Mimic 
Paul as he mimics Christ. And we see throughout kind of the, the, the flow of the letter that Paul mimicked Christ and Timothy mimicked Paul and Epaphroditus mimicked Paul and then he went back to the church at Philippi and they mimicked him and we don't know the outward effect from there. But this is the normative pattern of how God has designed his church to live that we are not simply consumers that come once a week to hear something encouraging and then come back next week, but rather we are to be a people of community who are collectively maturing together and collectively helping one another mature in Christ as we mimic those who are older and more mature than us. And so what we're gonna do this morning is simple. We're gonna look at Timothy and how Paul describes him, and we're gonna learn some lessons about how we can mimic Christ by following Timothy, and then we're gonna do the same with Epaphroditus. We good? We awake? Everyone got their coffee on the way in? By the way, there is coffee out there every Sunday, so help yourself, and donuts, come on, get you some donuts. All right, let's look back at verses 19 through 24. Let's read them together and see Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul has heard all of these updates from the Philippian church as to what's going on and, and he desires, he wants to come also. I want, I want to be there. I want to help correct some things. I want to help show you how to live. But as we know, he's imprisoned. So he's unable to get there to be with the church. And, and he too wants to send Timothy to them as his protege, but he can't do that either because Paul needs Timothy to stay with him until he knows what's going to happen with his, uh, with, with his prison sentence. Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or die, so he has to keep Timothy close. But then he says some things about Timothy that I think we can learn and apply to our lives. The first thing we learn about Timothy is that he is a man of compassion. He is a man of compassion. Look back at verse 20 with me. For I have no one like him, no one like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they, other people, seek their own interests, not the interests of Christ. So here's what we learn. We mimic Christ by mimicking Timothy in our compassion. When, when he talks about Timothy's deep concern for the church at Philippi, he's not just talking about every once in a while I think about them. He is saying Timothy has a deep compassion for the spiritual welfare and the spiritual well-being of the church at Philippi. Compassion means we serve others for the sake of others, not for the name of, not for making a name for ourselves. Compassion involves self-denial. I'm not getting my own interests, but rather I am seeking the interests of others. Compassion is a pouring out of our lives as a drink offering as Christ has poured out his life in a blood offering. Now, compassion is one of those things that's hard to define, but when you see it, you know it. Compassion has the it factor, so to speak. 
And so how can we live lives of compassion? I'm gonna attempt today to be really practical with all these points. And my challenge to us, Story Church, is that we would build lives of margin. I think lives without margin are lives that have no room for compassion. Okay, so let me talk about what that looks like. First, um, let me encourage you, uh, show up to church 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes longer than you want to. Okay, so our service is typically about 60 to 65 minutes long. So I am asking for less than 90 minutes of your week with an extra 30 minutes on the front and the back. Now here's why. I'm not, I'm not just saying that so the room can be full when service starts. I want that, and I know our worship team who sacrifices their lives want that. I want that mainly so you have margin for compassion. Find the person who has come so low and go befriend them. Talk with those around you and leave room in your schedule to be able to pray for them. Don't be rushed to get your kids checked in and get in the sanctuary. Give yourself some breathing room so that you can talk to and minister to others with compassion. Create margin in your budget for random acts of generosity. That's what Katie and I call it in our budget where if we're at a lunch with someone and they mention they've come on a hard time financially, we do have margin in our budget to just say, let me meet this need. Do we have margin in our budgets to be able to offer compassion with our generosity to those around us? Do we have margin in our week-to-week calendars to practice hospitality? Um, Katie and I, between soccer, school, and church, we have about four hours every week that are our own, right? Our our lives are not autonomous in this stage of life. Our schedule is completely assigned to us by outside forces. And listen, my personality type, I I don't necessarily like to control things. I just don't like to be controlled by others. So when when everyone else is telling me, like, this is what you got to do, I'm like, nope, not doing that, not doing that. But in our calendar being full to the brim, if someone needs some of our time, we're like, all right, let's look at June 2024. That's when we're available. And I'm not saying that to make you laugh. I'm saying that because I'm convicted by this myself. We have not built enough margin into our calendars to, to say, yeah, come over tonight. Come over right now. You're in need. I want to meet that need right now. So Story Church, if we want to be like Timothy and be concerned with the spiritual welfare of those around us, we have to build margin for compassion in our lives. The next thing we see in this text, if, if you look back at it, Paul says in verse 20, I have no one like him. And then jump down to verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Paul and Timothy had a unique relationship. They had a companionship. So we mimic Christ by mimicking Timothy through our companionship. And when I'm talking about companionship, I'm talking about something more than friendship. It's not less than friendship, but it's more than friendship. There's almost a comradeship to this companionship where we are in foxholes together, going to war together. There is a loyalty to Timothy. There is a stick-to-itness to Timothy. If you look back at the missionary journeys of Paul, they were incredibly hard. And oftentimes, people like John Mark 
Mark would bail. They would tuck tail and run because it got too hard. But Timothy refused to do this. He said, I am bound to you, Paul, and nothing is going to separate us. And when we have turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, not only are we united to Christ by faith, but we are united to one another in the gospel as the family of Christ where we have companionship with one another. Where it means you are going to be better because you encounter the Jesus in me and I am going to be better because I encounter the Jesus in you. And when the going gets tough, I am going nowhere. And listen, the American church has a plague and the plague goes like this. When you don't meet my needs, I'm going down the road. This is not a consumeristic empire where we seek to meet all of your, your, your wants and desires and needs. This is a place where we look at God's word and we say, God, how should we do church? And whatever he says to do, we will do gladly and we will do boldly and we will trust that you will stick with us through this. Amen. So again, how does this look? I think there's two components for Timothy and Paul that we see throughout their time together. The first is provision. The first is provision. Timothy met Paul's needs. And we too should meet one another's needs. Uh, oftentimes we look at the book of Acts and we say, man, I really wish churches looked like the book of Acts, right? That's when it was pure. Hey, reread it and see how messy it was. There was, in Acts chapter two, we read, there was no needy person among the church in Acts. Now, why? My question is why? The reason why is everyone else sold everything and shared it with one another. Are we willing to do that for each other? Are we willing, like Timothy, to provide for one another's needs, like the church at Acts, to provide for one another's needs, that if someone among us has need for transportation, we're gonna make that happen for them. If someone has need for finances or food, we are gonna make that happen for them. If they have emotional needs for friendship and community, we're gonna say, hey, come sit at my table and be with my friends. Are we gonna be people of provision? But the second aspect to companionship is protection. We protect one another. And when I'm talking about protection, I'm not talking about like this bubble where we isolate ourselves from the world. When I'm talking about protection, I am primarily talking about the fact that in Christ, we protect one another from ourselves, from our sin, and from Satan. Where we see a brother or sister in Christ and we, we know their sin bents and we see them veering away from the love of Jesus and we gently admonish them and say, hey, come back. Don't do that. I wanna protect you from you. Where we see someone who is growing in Christ and we say, hey, I wanna encourage you. You're doing good. Keep on. I wanna protect you from veering away from that where there's temptation from Satan and we say, no, 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 that's a lie. Let me clearly speak to you the truth so that you might walk in the ways of Jesus. We must be a people of companionship where we provide for and protect one another in Christ. The question is, is this a 60 minute a week thing for you? Or is this a place where you look around this room and you say, this isn't like my family, this is my family and I'm not going anywhere. Finally, 
We mimic Christ by mimicking Timothy through our consistency. Back in verse 22, Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth. Proven worth. When Paul is talking about Timothy's proven worth, he is talking about the fact that Timothy has faced the test and he has aced the test. That he has suffered and he has suffered well to the glory of God. That Timothy has been tempted and tried and he has fled from his sin and followed Jesus. That Timothy has been useful to Paul on his missionary journey. There's a holistic reality to what's going on in the life and the discipleship of Timothy and Timothy keeps on growing. Growing. He is consistent with Paul and he is consistent in his following of Jesus. So again, how does this work out? Number one, the scriptures say, let your yes be yes. In other words, be a people of integrity. When you say you're gonna do something, do that thing. When you say you're gonna be somewhere, be at that thing. Let your yes be yes. Number two, show up. Show up. If you call this church your home, I don't want to see you every six weeks. I want to see you more frequently than that because I love you. And we believe the lie that it doesn't matter if I'm here. I can catch the podcast on Monday. I want to pull the podcast. I want you to be here because this is so much more than a sermon This is the people of God getting together for prayer and fellowship and communion. We didn't take communion for months during COVID. And that first Sunday back, you remember hearing the voices of other people and taking communion for the first time? That was one of the highlights of my spiritual life. Because it does matter that you're here. It does matter that you're consistently here growing in the ways of Jesus. Do not believe the lie that it doesn't matter that you're here. Finally, don't wait for the better thing to come along. Um, I have a friend who on every calendar invitation, I'm not even joking, every calendar invitation you send him, he marks maybe. <laughs> I'm serious. And so a couple years ago, I finally called him like, Dave, man, like why are you putting maybe? And he's like, he was honest. He said, I'm waiting for a better thing to come along. And if I commit to that thing, I can't say no to back out and go to that other thing. So I just say maybe to everything. (laughs) Listen, that's not consistency. We need to be people who are consistent, but so often we mark in our spiritual lives, maybe I'm gonna serve, maybe I'm gonna give, maybe I'm gonna show up, maybe I'm gonna be in a home group, maybe I'm gonna pray, maybe I'm gonna follow Jesus, maybe waiting for the better thing to come along. It's not coming, friends. This is the better thing. Follow Jesus. So let us mimic Christ by mimicking Timothy through our companionship, through our compassion, and through our consistency. That's Timothy. Now let's look at Epaphroditus. Let's reread verses 25 through 30 together. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Man, Epaphroditus is a beautiful person in the scriptures that we we just don't pay any attention to. So let us see how we can mimic him. First thing we're gonna see, we mimic Christ by mimicking Epaphroditus and being sacrificial servants. So Paul is saying, listen, I can't send Timothy yet. I can't come to you yet. Therefore, I'm gonna send Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus was a Philippian. He was born and raised there. He was converted there. And then when Paul planted the church, or when the church was planted there and Paul came, Epaphroditus said, Paul, I'm moving on with you. So he did. But as problems have now arisen in Philippi, Epaphroditus, man, is like, I gotta get back there. Those are my people. I gotta help them. I gotta teach them. I gotta do what I can. And you see throughout this text that he is willing to sacrifice his very life for the sake of this church. Look at what he says in verse 25. He says, Epaphroditus is my brother, and then he gives some monikers. He's a worker, he's a soldier, he's a messenger, and he is a minister. Here's one thing I personally love about our faith. Our faith is not designed for the throne room, for the classroom, or for the salon. Now, here's what I mean by that. Our faith is not for the throne room. It's not for the high and mighty. It's for the lowly and broken. Our faith is not for the classroom. Our faith is not just merely intellectual ascent. It is a life of service that has been transformed by the gospel. It's not for the salon where I just come to have a little bit of fun and then I go home. No, look at how Paul describes this. He says Epaphroditus is a worker. How many of you want worker on your tombstone? But that's what Christ designed us for. He designed us not for the throne, the classroom, or the salon. He designed us for the field where we get down on our knees and we work the soil and we pick the weeds and we plant seeds and we water it and we care for it and we rip holes in our jeans and we get bad backs because we're bending over so often keeping our hand to the plow. That's what our faith is about. And that's why I love our faith. It is a faith of working where our faith has feet. He is a worker. He is a soldier. He doesn't run from the firing. He runs to the firing. He's not afraid of what's coming his way. He's willing to risk his very life for the sake of the Philippian church. He's a messenger. Think about a messenger. It's the person who wakes up at 3 a.m., hops on their bike, rides through the neighborhood and throws the paper on your porch so that when you wake up with your coffee, you can read the news, most often forgetting some kid woke up way before you did to get you the news. No one, was, no one saw that. No one really cared about that. And he's getting paid minimum wage to do it, but he does it gladly so that you can get the news. That's what Epaphroditus does in the gospel. He wakes up early before anyone else can see him. He doesn't care about applause or payment. He just serves the news so that others might hear about the love of Jesus Christ. And then he's a minister, gladly administering gospel grace to all who are in need. None of this is high and mighty, perfect and put together. This is lowly work for lowly people saved by an exalted savior. 
Let us be sacrificial servants like Epaphroditus. How does this look? Um, just, just a recent example here. Um, you, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had our prayer and worship and, and member meeting where we presented our uh, future elder candidates. Now, because we're a church plant, we have a lot of things that established churches don't have. And one of those things is childcare. If you've ever been to an event at Story Church, uh, most often outside of Sunday service, there's not very much opportunity for, for the children to, to have something, which means in the room, it's really loud, it's very distracting, and it's it, like, we love kids, we love kids, but they're loud, okay? And so oftentimes meetings get derailed because they're just loud, especially at six o'clock at night when it's dinner time and they're hangry. But, but listen, um, Andrew and Caroline Kahn said, hey, we're gonna miss the meeting so that other people don't have to. We're gonna open up that space and we're gonna watch the kids so other people can hear the good things that God's doing at Story Church. That's sacrificial service. There's no applause for that. Okay? Yeah, go, Jim. Like right now, there's people sitting at that table so you can freely worship. And they got here really early. The worship team, it's not just, they don't just show up and put it together. It's all week. People are laying their lives down in the toddler's room. Toddlers right now. Sacrificial service. People throughout the week open up their homes to host home groups. Like, don't you see how beautiful that is? Be sacrificial servants. Next, we mimic Christ by mimicking Epaphroditus and being large-hearted lovers. Look back at verses 26 and 27 with me. For he, Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God showed mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Remember back in chapter one where Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain? That's all lofty ideals until you're actually facing death. And Epaphroditus faced death and he said to, to die as gain, I'm gonna get Christ. But God spared his life. He was healed from his illness. So what did Epaphroditus do? Man, he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna book that cruise and I'm gonna sail off into retirement. No, Epaphroditus said, I am going to live for Christ. Live is Christ, die is gain. So he lived for Jesus and his living was marked by his loving. He longed to be with the Philippians. He was distressed over them. When he woke up, he thought about the Philippian church and, and how they can grow. When he went to bed, he was praying for the Philippian church that they can grow and their needs can be met. Is that how we are with each other? Are we longing to be together? Are we distressed over one another? Like that's real love, friends. That has substance and depth to it. This isn't just like a, hey, I loved being with you when it was easy and we ate a good meal. It's a, I love you when you're facing the worst. So how do we do that? How do we grow in our love? I'm, just, I'm gonna keep making this application. Join a home group. And for those of you who have tried, it's getting easier. It's going on the website. You can sign up. You'll hear more information about that soon. But, but hear me. 
Home groups are so much more than just hanging out and eating a meal together. This is where we get with people who are unlike us, but we are bound together through Jesus. And the whole point is to give love and receive love. To give forgiveness and receive forgiveness. To give gospel reminders and receive gospel reminders. To give the truth and receive the truth. It's not so you can find a bunch of birds of the same feather so you can flock together. It is so that you can get with people who are unlike you and grow in the love of Christ and give the love of Christ. Get in a home group and stick it out. It will be worth it. Don't click up. Here's what I mean, okay? If you find yourself Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday talking to and hanging out with and eating lunch with the same exact people over and over and over again, I'm glad you're friends, but find someone new, please. Because there's a lot of people over the past few months who have come for the first time and they are desperately looking for friends and community and God has assigned it to you to be their community. Let us do that together. Let us grow in our love. Have a hidden love where you are praying for one another. No one's gonna see that, but God hears that. Pray for one another. Open your homes. Have regular meetings with one another. Um, Oftentimes, we're, we're looking for the church's permission to do what God has already given us permission to do. Here's what I mean by that. Disciple one another. Don't wait for us to say, all right, you're you're paired up and then I'm gonna put you two together. I'm gonna be a switchboard operator getting all of you hooked up. No, no, no. Approach someone and say, hey, Archibald and Foothill, McDonald's, coffee, 6.30 every Tuesday. Be there. And just do it. Read the word together. Don't wait for us to say, go do that. Just do it and show love to each other by regularly meeting with each other. Epaphroditus was a large-hearted lover Are we large-hearted lovers? Final point here. We mimic Christ by mimicking Epaphroditus by being willing messengers. Look back at verses 28 through 30 with me. I I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul's saying, I'm sending him back to you. Thank you for giving him to me on loan for a little while. He's coming back to you, Philippi. And I can't wait to see what happens. Receive him with joy and honor. But the last verse is a little scary. He nearly died for the work of Christ. Now, if you are on an airplane and that airplane crashes and you miraculously survive you're probably not getting back on an airplane ever again, okay? But we have Epaphroditus whose gospel airplane went down, he miraculously survived, and he immediately got up and said, send me again, Paul, I'm ready. He was a willing messenger, gladly sent by Paul to serve the Philippian church. John Calvin says it this way. He, Epaphroditus, would rather be negligent as to his health than be deficient in his duty. (laughs) that does not sound like us. Negligent to our health. I got the sniffles, I can't. Not making fun of anyone, just to be clear. So, how can we be willing messengers? 
do you see yourself as sent? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are sent. And you are sent to wherever Christ has sent you. Your workplace, your home, where you play, your neighborhood, your friend group, your home group, this church, wherever you find yourself, you are sent by Jesus and the entire job description says, be a messenger. Share the good news. Share the love of Jesus. Do you see your job as a job or do you see your job as mission? Those are radically different things, friends. It becomes so much more meaningful than simply paying the bills. It becomes how can I see people know and love and follow Jesus Christ? See yourself as sent wherever you are. Now, again, we... we, we, we see these things in the word and we're taught these things and there's practical application, but so much of this, again, is caught, not taught. Mimicking others, mimic Paul, mimic Timothy, mimic Epaphroditus. They don't worship here. They're at another church in town. Um, just kidding, guys, they're dead, but they're with Jesus. Can't wait for that day myself. Um, get around other people. If you see someone in this church that you're like, like, man, I, I, I love how you follow Jesus. I love the joy you have. You seem to know the word in a way I don't. You're consistent where I'm not. You're older than me. You've been following Jesus longer than me. You probably have some wisdom and experience to hand off to me. You've suffered through some things and you've done so well. Guess what? Go to that person and ask to meet with them. I bet they'd be willing to. And if you're older and more mature in the faith, age not being a factor, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I wanna meet with you, like, just do it, okay? Margin in your calendar to care for others. These things are caught, not taught. Get around others, absorb, watch, listen, learn. And if we are ever without an example, we always have Jesus as our example. Jesus was the one full of compassion who denied himself, not for his gain, but for our gain, laying his life down that we might be saved. Jesus is our companion, a friend that is closer than a brother in all things. He is our friend. He is consistent. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always with you in all things. He is radically consistent in our lives. Jesus is the sacrificial and suffering servant. In Isaiah chapter 53, we learn that he is the one who was stricken for our sake. He was struck down that we might be exalted, literally sacrificing everything in service for us. Jesus is a large-hearted lover. Listen, he didn't save you because you're awesome. He saved you because his love compelled him to. And Jesus is a willing messenger where he says, not my will, Father, but your will. Send me wherever and I'll say, yes, he is always with us. And if we're without an example here and now, we go to him and we say, Jesus, teach me, be with me, help me. Let's be that church. Let us grow and mature together in our gospel believing and our gospel behaving as we mimic one another. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the example to us of how to live and how to obey and how to follow you. And he is so much more than just an example. He is also savior. 
He is the one who by his grace grows us and shapes us and transforms us. And he enables us to live out the things that Timothy and Epaphroditus did. And so God help us. I myself am feeling how woefully short I fall on all of these things. Help me, God, grow. Help me, God, to to learn the lessons and walk out these lessons. Help me, God, to share with others how they might grow. But in all things, God, we just want to look more like Jesus. We know your will for us is sanctification and looking more like Jesus, and we know we can't do it by ourselves. So God, would you help us? I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.